0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Monument Bible Church. Those who are uh, with us online and in the building today, we are glad to be worshiping the Lord together with you. Uh, Lots of fun, exciting, and wonderful things happening in the life of our faith community. We're looking forward to sharing a lot with you today, following service. We have a family life hour right here uh, in the auditorium. We'd invite you to stay and participate in that. I just want to celebrate something yesterday, walking into this and feeling the energy, and seeing so many children, so many adults, so many leaders, uh, community members, volunteers participating in discipleship, having fun together, racing cars, so many life lessons to learn, and uh, I just want to give God the glory. We had a great message from Doug Bowman, sharing with the students, uh, giving an Uh, An opportunity of discipleship for them to understand how they can continue to grow in their faith. And so many volunteers uh, working in the kitchen, setting up the racetrack, being present in the lives of our children. Uh, Let's give God the glory this morning for that yesterday. It's great. The Iwana Grand Prix. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And I look forward to hearing uh, some good updates from that in a bit. Boy, I just got loud and then quiet again. That was fun. (laughs) We have a new memory verse for the month of February. It comes from the book of Exodus, which we will continue to be studying for the foreseeable future. And we can say it together this morning. By your loyal love, you will lead the people whom you have redeemed. You will guide them by your strength to your holy dwelling place. Exodus 15, 13. Yes, wonderful truths. Well, I've had quite the weekend. I'm glad that uh, I made it here today. I'm glad that my hair's looking good. And um, I was able to, to put my shoes on the right way this morning. So my, my wife, uh, she's at a conference this weekend. So, yeah, we, uh, we've been looking at Pharaoh's love of control. And let me tell you, if Pharaoh would have lived in my house for a day he would have recognized real quickly how much uh, control he doesn't have. Um, And I would just say, uh, one of the things I've come to learn this weekend, with Sheila being away, is uh, how wonderful it is to have her there. (laughs) Man, um, whoo, yeah, seven kids, and... I spent more time in my van yesterday than I did in my actual house, driving kids around. Normally, we split that up, but yesterday, it was all on me, and I know she's having a wonderful time. She's actually at a conference this weekend with about 800 other women uh, who um, also are adoptive moms or fostering moms, and uh, so she's having a great time of fellowship. Her heart's being encouraged. Uh, as they spend time together in worship and the Word, and I am so excited for her to come home this afternoon. <laughs> so very excited. <laughs> We've been working through the book of Exodus together, and uh, I just—I've just been loving this book and just having so much fun going through chapter by chapter. And we are in the midst of looking at the plagues that came upon Egypt, and. Last week, as we introduced this and got into this part of the narrative, we said that the big idea behind all these plagues is that Yahweh is Lord, the one true living God. He's above all powers and principalities and rulers of this world. And He alone can deliver His people from oppression so that they may worship and serve Him alone. And we also looked last week at three of the primary purposes for the plagues. And we'll see that there were some other ones as well, but these are three of the primary purposes that we are communicated about in the scriptures. One of them is uh, God's judging sin and injustice. Another is his demonstration of his supremacy that you may know that I am the Lord. And then finally, uh, the perhaps the greatest purpose as it relates to this narrative here is the deliverance of, of his people. And then the question that continues uh, today that we had started last week, in the action of setting his people free, how does God demonstrate his miraculous power and unfailing love? And that's a question that we're going to continue to unpack this week, As we enter our text today, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 9. If you have your Bibles in hand, you can turn there. If you have them on your devices, you can turn your device on. We're going to start in verse 13 of Exodus chapter 9. And today we're going to go all the way through to the end of chapter 10. Exodus chapter 9, 13. And we're going to work our way through to the end of chapter 10. Before we dive into our text this morning, let's ask the Lord to help us with our time of study. Father, we have gathered together to worship you. You've given us a new day. It's a day that you have made, and we are to rejoice and be glad in it. And we want to do that, Lord, and we want to do that well. So I just want to give you the praise and glory for the gifts and the talents that were used up here this morning, how you work through your people to lead us in worship through singing and music, through prayer, Through fellowship, Lord, as we came into the building today and uh, through the time that we'll have afterwards of building into one another. And now, this is our corporate time of study. To gather around your word. It's an activity that we do together. It's an activity that we do aware of the reality that your spirit is alive and active. Aware of the reality that there are some here today who are full of energy. And there are others who are weary. That there are some here today whose hearts are filled with joy and excitement. And there are others who are sad and walking through difficulty. There are some here today who are full and others who feel empty, lonely. And Lord, as we gather around your word The miraculous nature of your spirit at work through it reminds us that you are able to apply to each and every person listening or in the building today. You are able to apply exactly what we need. You are enough. So we approach your word ready. Lord, we want you to open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Prepare us to receive it. And we open our word with the anticipation that your Spirit is going to use it to help us to grow, to grow in love. Not just a love that's in our minds that's fleeting, but a love, Lord, that's usable and active. A love that we take from the walls of this place and begin to put into practice in the very spaces that you plan us in through this week. A tangible love. A love that is motivated by your spirit alive and at work within each and every one of us. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time and we give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 13 and read through verse 21 today to begin. nine thirteen to 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now... I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause a very heavy hail to fall, such as never been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought into a home will die when the hail falls on them. Then, whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. There is something different going on with this plague. Something different from the others. And I think it's important for us to note that this time the plague is coming upon Pharaoh's very self. If we were reading in the original Hebrew language, it actually reads literally like this. For this time, I will send all my plagues on your heart. That's the word that is used. The same exact word that's used of Pharaoh's heart in other places in this narrative. The heart of Pharaoh becomes a major focal point For the work of God in the deliverance of his people. On three occasions, we are are told that God will harden Pharaoh's heart. Then, on six different occasions in the narrative, we see God's direct action of hardening Pharaoh's heart. Seven other times, it is applied that God is the divine actor who has hardened Pharaoh's heart without expressly mentioning his name. And then there are three times we are told that it is Pharaoh who hardened his own heart. At least 19 instances throughout the Exodus narrative, we are told that Pharaoh had a hard heart. So we have God hardening Pharaoh's heart. We have Pharaoh hardening his own heart, and now we have the plagues that are coming upon Egypt directly affecting the heart of Pharaoh. And perhaps a question that we might ask, a fair question, is why has Pharaoh's hard heart been given so much attention, even serving as a focal point throughout this narrative? It's a good question. And in our response, we want to be careful to tether ourselves to the purposes that are clearly articulated in the scripture. In doing so, we refrain from reading into the text thoughts regarding what all this might mean for Pharaoh's future eternal destination. And we do well to remember that Pharaoh is not a name. Pharaoh is a title, like the title of king. And it represents different persons throughout the narrative of Exodus. There are multiple pharaohs present from the end of Genesis through the Exodus narrative. And many biblical scholars are still divided over the identity of the pharaoh who's represented in the Exodus account. The scriptures don't give us his name, only his title. And so in keeping our response in line with what the scriptures present, we discover that the author is not intending to make a point about Pharaoh's possible or potential eternal destination. Starting in chapter 3, verses 18 and 20 through 20, it's imperative that we begin to unpack these questions with an understanding that before the hardening of Pharaoh's heart was ever mentioned, God's plan was already Purposed. Take a look, Exodus chapter 3, 18 through 20. The elders will listen to you. And then you and the elders of Israel must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, so we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But look at verse 19 of chapter 3. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even under force. With God's plan already purposed, we can then turn our attention to the reason that the Scriptures give for the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And the reason is found in chapter 4, verse 16, and it's on the screen. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. It is the same purpose that Paul will later directly quote from in his line of reasoning with the church in Rome. God is using Pharaoh as an example, and Paul is picking up on that example and now using it as an example that relates to Israel's own hardening. Romans chapter 9, verses 14 to 18. What then shall we say? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it does not depend on human desire or exertion, but on God, who shows mercy. For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may demonstrate my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then... God has mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy, and he hardens whom he chooses to harden. And here is an important consideration for us to remember. At one point in every one of our lives, we were all the ignoble vessel, walking in darkness with hard hearts, turned away from God without hope in this world, and God In His great patience, bared with us, showed us mercy. Pharaoh is a man with a hard heart, both by God's doing, and according to the text, by his own doing, as well. And God, in His divine power and sovereignty, certainly, His purposes through them, while still allowing an opportunity for them to eventually hear believe, and respond by faith to the good news of salvation. Pharaoh is experiencing a part of God's wrath and his judgment, but in his wrath, God is remembering mercy in giving many opportunities for Pharaoh to repent and to follow God. In this portion of the narrative, then there is judgment, there is wrath, there's mercy, there's compassion. And it's all mingling together as God is working through both noble and ignoble vessels to bring about his purposed deliverance for his people. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart is in the text to show the people of Israel, to show the church, to show us, all of the future readers... That there is nothing on earth that can stand in the way of God's plans. God is greater. No human evil. No hardened heart. No opposition. No sin. No resistance. Can overcome the plans of God. And as a church, we have the glory of seeing this clearly in the life and the person and the work of Jesus, I love how one scholar summed up the purpose of Pharaoh's hardening and Israel's hardening. Remember, both are in view in Romans chapter nine through eleven. That's an important point to consider. Scholar said this: All of these quote all of these are about the impossibility of humanity knowing, controlling, predicting, repaying, or any in other, any other way influencing God. Through Pharaoh and through Israel, God is making a name for himself. His character, his reputation, his divine power and attributes are on glorious display. God is in control. Let all of the world witness his divine mercy and compassion. Let all the world believe and know that he is the Lord and there is no one like him in all the heavens. And all of the earth. And for us, friends, church, for us, let us respond with with great fear. With great awe and wonder. With great thanksgiving and thankfulness and gratitude to be known and named and loved by this King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, the Lord of heaven and earth. Sometimes when we read these accounts from the Old Testament, we tend to think that this is a God that's far away. That's far off. But the reality, church, for us is the same God is with us today. What a beautiful thing. Back in chapter 9, hail is falling, thunder, even fire, perhaps from severe lightning, is following. And remember how God had determined that the plagues would now cut directly to the heart of Pharaoh? Watch what happens. Jump down to verse 27 of Exodus 9 with me. Exodus 9, verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. What? (laughs) This time? Like all the other times before? I mean, it's kind of amazing that he recognizes that now. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. Oh, thanks, Pharaoh. Pharaoh. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And all God's people said, right. (laughs) Moses is not fooled. He knows, he knows that Pharaoh's... Confession is not sincere. He's been through this before, has he not? A few other times. Pharaoh lacks the genuine sorrow and grief that leads to repentance. Verse 29, Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know, I know, that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Then to verse 33. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants, So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. You know, through this whole narrative, what is Pharaoh's sin? Some people have asked that. What is his sin, his consistent sin throughout this narrative is his unbelief. He does not believe Moses and Aaron. He does not believe in the power of God. He does not believe that God is greater than him or greater than the gods of his country. He's living in unbelief. And in his unbelief, he constantly lies to Moses and to Aaron, changing his mind, believing that next time around, perhaps he'll get the better of God. How many times in a row can this God really win? Well, Pharaoh, there's more coming. At the onset of chapter 10, we're introduced to yet another purpose for God's plague upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Look at chapter 10, the next chapter. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Isn't that interesting? End of chapter 9, Pharaoh's hardening his heart. Beginning of chapter 10, now God is doing it. I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I might show these signs of mine among them and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, How long? How long? How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country. Again, word plays happening here in the text. Marvelous word plays. Sometimes in our English translations, we have to be extra observant to see these. And we remember at the beginning of our study in Exodus, we talked about all of the tones from Genesis that the author draws in to the Exodus narrative. He's using words here in the narrative of the locust, in the plague of the locust. He's using words that should take our minds back to the flood narrative of Genesis. He's being intentional. The locust. Like the waters of the flood would cover the surface of the earth. Verse 5. Like the waters covered the dry ground, making it invisible, so too would the locust make people unable to see the ground. Like the flood waters destroyed the trees and the vegetation of the earth, the locust would eat the remainder of what was left after the hail, destroying the rest of the Egyptian vegetation just as the waters would be like nothing had ever been seen so too would the locusts come in numbers such that had never been seen in verse 14 of chapter 10 the locusts come up from the ground it's the same word the same exact word that's used for the animals that come up into Noah's ark And then we find the locusts would come and the word that's used is that they would rest or settle upon the land. The Hebrew word for rest or settle, Noah. The locusts then are described to Pharaoh in his historical context as destructive as the floodwaters were to Noah in his. Pharaoh... At the beginning of Exodus, it's kind of ironic, he had found himself concerned with the swarm of Hebrews who were populating his land. But in the locusts, he finds himself consumed with an altogether different population that's swarming. Out of Pharaoh's control, he's unable, unable to keep them enslaved. And guess what? The locust, instead of building up his empire, guess what they're doing? Consuming it. Devouring it. Pharaoh's servants are scared. It's the first time that we read of their fear. The pressure that they begin to apply on their king. Look at verse 7 of chapter 10. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long, did you catch that earlier? They're saying this a lot. How long shall this man be a snare to us? They're talking about Moses and Aaron. Let the men go, that they may go serve their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Wow, they're feeling it. Feeling it. Pharaoh's not willing to let go. And sometimes, friends, this is what control does to us. We hold so tight. We squeeze. If I could just control it. And the tighter we squeeze, what happens? Slips further and further and further away. God's trying to get Pharaoh to surrender. Oh, in our own lives, to just live with that posture. Lord, come what may. This is hard. It's dark. I don't understand it. It doesn't feel good. But I'm surrendered to your will. I'm going to walk by faith. Help me. That's not Pharaoh's posture. In any of this, Pharaoh's posture is to just keep trying harder to control. It's not working. It doesn't work. At some point, friends, we have to let go. And that is hard. But God is in control. It's God. Verse 8. Moses and Aaron are brought back to Pharaoh. And he said, go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters. This is kind of like the Dr. Seuss part of the narrative. We will go with our flocks and our herds. For we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord will be with you. If I ever let you and your little ones go, Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No. Go, the men among you, and serve the Lord. For that is what you are asking. And they were driven out of the Pharaoh's presence. Again, Pharaoh... He wants to control the narrative. He wants to control who can go. So Moses stretches out his hand and the locusts come and they come in force. They are destructive. And Pharaoh, in his haste, quickly calls for the return of Moses and Aaron. Look down at verse 16. I could imagine. Could you imagine all of a sudden all these things are eating everything left in your country? How desperate Pharaoh must have been. Then Pharaoh hastily, hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, Again, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And look, look at how gracious. And merciful the Lord is in this narrative. Oh, Lord, bear with us in this kind of craziness. Verse 19, the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wing, which wind, which not west wing, west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all of the country of Egypt. Not a single locust. God is in control. Certainly, Pharaoh must be ready to relinquish control now. He sees so clearly. God can bring in. He can take out. He's seen it in the gnats. He's seen it in the flies. He's seen it in the locusts, in the frogs. All of these different plagues, but still unwilling to yield. And because of his unwillingness, God is not yet finished. Now, we had said last week, showed a picture, Egypt was a beautiful land. The Nile River produced vegetation that had brought beautiful rays of green colors, extravagantly bright and beautiful flowers. Our imaginations often go to sand and dust because we've been conditioned to see the country of Egypt through what? The pyramids and the sphinx, which are found in very sand-rich portions of Egypt. But there is much more to the country Pharaoh enjoyed, as we saw in the text multiple times, he enjoyed going out to the Nile in the morning, out to the river, to look and to look upon his land and to see the beauty. Plentiful. It was a land, if you remember in Genesis, that was very attractive to Joseph and his brothers when their land had been overcome with desolation and famine. And in a way, through the plagues. God has been involved in a bit of what we might consider a decreation act. The Nile turns the blood and turns completely over the government and the religious systems of the Egyptians. The frogs come from the water to the land, and they're so plentiful that the separation of land and water become what? unclear. Where's the land? Where's the water? The dust that had brought forth man in Genesis, now in Exodus in the plagues, is bringing forth gnats, and the Egyptian people are plagued. The swarm of biting flies fills a land that was intended to be filled with people. The livestock that God had created in Genesis are now being filled with disease and dying off. Humanity, created as very good in the garden, now covered in erupting boils that itch, that burn, that break on their skin. Water comes down from the skies, not to give life, but in the form of rocks, destroying and disrupting what life is left And then the locusts come like a flood and feast on the remaining vegetation. And in this last plague, finally, darkness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep, but the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, so God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness night. There was evening, there was morning, marking the first day. Exodus ten twenty one. The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days they did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light. Where they lived. Isn't that wonderful? Somehow. Wherever the Israelites were living. There was light. But this is a darkness so deep. That it was felt. Have you ever felt darkness? Maybe you have. It's out there. A darkness that was only experienced by the Egyptians. Pharaoh is now certainly ready to release the people, but again, not on God's terms. He needs a hostage to ensure a return. Look at verse 24. Go, serve the Lord. Only your flocks and herds will be detained. Even your dependents may go with you. This is not what God had asked. Of Pharaoh. God did not say that Pharaoh should keep the livestock as a hostage to ensure a safe return. And Moses' reminder of this would once again lead to another hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Verse 25, but Moses said, Oh Pharaoh, could you imagine what this was like for him? You must also, I can't imagine what this was like. For Moses, too, and Aaron. God, do we really have to ask him to have us let us take the livestock with him? We, can't we just go? Oh, God, God was pretty clear. Everything. Everything. So he goes back. You must also let us have sacrifices and burn offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must also go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind, for we, may take, we must take all of them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. This time, the direct hardening of Pharaoh's heart, it, it, it's just going to come out in, in anger now. I mean, this is the point. We've had enough of this. Back and forth, back and forth. Did you ever get in one of those kind of discussions, maybe with a child or coworker? worker <laughs> Enough! That's where we're at. This is where we're at. Verse 28. Pharaoh said to him, go from me. Watch out for yourself. Do not appear before me again, for when you see my face, you will die. Moses said, said, Moses, he's probably like, woo, as you wish, I will not see your face again. Face. Face. How important is a face? When it comes to connecting, when it comes to relationships, how important is it to see a person's face? It's an interesting word that completes this section that has largely drawn our imaginations back into the original creation account. It's the same word that's used in Genesis to describe the surface of the ground, the face of the ground, and the face or expanse. Of the heavens. It's also used as a figure of speech in Genesis to describe the face of the earth. God's act of decreation nearly concluded. Pharaoh finds himself in utter darkness and he tells his antagonists, who also happen to be our protagonists, to get out of his face. For Pharaoh, Things are growing cloudy and dark, and the light that Moses and Aaron are shining is too blinding for him to stand in any longer. And Moses, perhaps in a hint of foreshadowing, would be happy to remove himself from the face of Pharaoh. But isn't it interesting that he is later desperate to gaze into the face of God? And as I was reading this plague, I became very curious. A question that came into my mind is if God can create a darkness that could be felt and experienced so heavy. Would he also one day be able to create a light that would be able to be felt and experienced? And then we turn to the Gospel of John. And that is our aha moment. Here it is, God. This is what you've been doing. There was a darkness that was felt and experienced in the Old Testament. And when we turn to the Gospels in the New Testament, we see a light that comes into the world that humanity could feel and experience on earth. Jesus The light of the world, the light that saves us, the light that lives within us, the light that causes and motivates us to shine and have effect. Ours, friends, is not a story of darkness, but rather a story of unfathomable light and glory. For those of us who know Jesus, we too once had our three days of darkness. We lived there. But by God's great love and mercy, we've been rescued from the darkness by the great love of Jesus who laid down His life for us that we might know and feel and experience the abundant life and light that He offers. I want to do something different as we conclude our time together today. I'd like everyone to turn in their Bibles to 1 John. It's in the back of your New Testaments. One of the last books of the New Testament, it's just a little book, a little letter that John wrote to a small, new, growing faith community in his region And here we just finished reading in Exodus about this last plague that came upon the people, about this darkness that was felt so heavy that the people could feel it. And my, what a great opportunity to rehearse the great hope that we've been given in the light and the life of Jesus. If you're listening today you're here today and you've not come to know this hope and this life and this light and if you feel as though you're walking in a darkness or a fog every day if you're overcome by guilt or shame and feel as though you could never approach this glorious light please know that jesus is available today and he is mighty to save And there is nothing, there is no one, there is nothing else in this world that has the power to make us feel complete and whole. There is no greater person to be known and loved by in this world than the person of Jesus. And perhaps today could be the day that you receive that love for the first time as we rehearse this great hope that we have. Maybe you just simply need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that the light of the world is Jesus, that he is your Lord, and find your salvation. First John 1, this is what we proclaim to you. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes. What we have looked at and our hands have touched concerning the word of life and the life that was revealed. And we have seen and testify and announce to you the eternal life that was with the Father and revealed to us. What we have seen. And heard, we announced to you too, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Thus, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, this is the gospel message that we've heard from Him and announced to you. God is light. And in Him... There is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we keep on walking in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we do not bear the guilt of sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But... If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Friends, community, we don't have to live in darkness and fear. Amen? Amen. All that was experienced by the Egyptians, that plague of darkness that was once a part of our lives in a different way, but still a part, no longer needs to be today. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess your sin. Turn And walk in the light. The ways of Jesus. What a wonderful salvation. Not just to know. But to live. To proclaim. There's so much peace. Joy. Hope. Goodness. So much to announce. To all the world. As our team comes. Reflect on this. We've been saved. To the one who is immeasurably greater than what we've been saved from. And it's a wonderful thing to spend our lives together sharing and living the gospel in the world. Jesus is enough, amen? His grace is all we need. His faithfulness is great and he is greatly to be praised. Let's praise Him now. you pray with me? Lord, there's so much in our hearts that desires, as we live in this world, to control. Perhaps that's because so much feels out of our control. And yet, Lord, that's exactly how it's supposed to be. Because when we are in the place where we recognize our helplessness, and our lack of control we find ourselves in the place where we can turn nowhere else than into your arms and learn of our great dependence and our great need for your grace for your goodness for your mercy lord free us free us from the spirit of needing to control and help us to walk by faith, to live motivated by love, to proclaim your mercy and goodness, and to live it in the places that you plan us this week. Help us to shine bright for you, to be effective in this world. You do it, Lord. We can. not We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.